Welcome to Board Box Extras. Our goal is to share the best of blockchain gaming with our community, matching great players with great games that they'll love. To learn more about Boardbox and our partners, go to boardbox.io and grab a Boardbox NFT to join our private community of gamers. All right, let's click the start button and get to it. But thanks everybody for joining. Um, here to talk about Parallel, um, a really fun upcoming TCG trading card game and a lot more. Uh, definitely a genre I'm personally interested in. For anybody who is joining one of these spaces for the first time, um, I've been conducting interviews with um, gaming studios that I'm really interested in, that I'm excited about. Um, these guys are one of them. Um, personally, outside of the, the Twitter sphere, um, I spent over a decade in the video games world, um, helped launch some of the most storied titles out there, and last year launched a company called Boardbox, which is really focused on curating blockchain games and bringing them to people's attention, especially for those who are really busy and don't have time to kind of discover games and really, you know, know where to dedicate their time to. We're, we're trying to be that voice that helps educate people and, and bring them into the space. So um, that's a little bit about me. Um, Fitch and Callie, while we were waiting for others, um, it would be great to, to hear from you guys, uh, get a bit of an intro from you, um, as well as uh, get a, a general overview of, of Parallel for those who are brand new to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I did uh, get Kalos up here. Kalos is uh, our founder, so good to have him. Um, yeah, so I mean, Parallel is now about a year and a half old uh, from, you know, initial pre-sale launch. And uh, it's a trading card game, as you mentioned, um, but it's also a, a much broader sort of sci-fi universe. And the backstory is quite fascinating. I, I think we have probably the most robust lore um, in the Web3 gaming world, and it's what initially drew me to parallel, but the, uh, the story is that, you know, five different factions are essentially coming back to their original home of earth, uh, to do battle for the ultimate source of energy and kind of their, their ancestry as well. Um, so due to a cataclysm that happens, you know, thousands of years in, in our present times, you know, future timeline, um, they need to flee earth and, and because they flee, um, and go to different planets, uh, you have Cathari faction goes to Europa you have Augencor faction being stuck on their ship. You have uh, Marcolian faction going to Mars. You have Shroud faction actually being drawn into a singularity, a, a black hole, but managing to survive. And then the Earthen faction who are, are left behind on Earth, they actually go through different courses of evolution. So they, uh, they evolve into fundamentally different versions of, of human beings, essentially. And, um, you know, the cataclysm that caused them to flee um, is an event called the Priming, and it, it ends up maturing and becoming the ultimate source of, of energy in the universe, you know, thousands of years, even after the cataclysm begins. And so, you know, over these thousands of years, this evolution into these five parallel paths, which is where the name parallel comes from, um, of, of you know, humanity takes place. And then they all come back to basically do battle for not just their original homeworld, but the ultimate source of energy in, in the solar system and, and in the universe at large. So that's kind of the backstory. And um, amidst that universe, um, we have set the, the trading card game, which is our, our primary deliverable um, from a gaming perspective. And certainly we have ambitions to, you know, look elsewhere um, in terms of other gaming products, you know, assuming the success of the TCG. But that's something that we can talk about as we go. Yeah, I, I love that overview. Um, 
you guys for a very long time, and I, I consider you this in the best possible way, like an OG project in the space, um, have built so much lore and you're really, that is what comes to, um, that, that is what is at, at the forefront. Like you talk about your story more than anything else. I think a lot of gaming projects get hung up in the technical details or the economics. Um, you guys are really kind of world building. And, um, you know, that seems to be the way you've kind of engaged your community along the way. Obviously, game development takes a long time. Um, you know, some game studios basically build for a couple of years and then just release a surprise game and everybody, <laughs> you know, is excited. But, um, you know, in our space, a lot of the time you have to kind of keep dropping those nuggets and, and keeping keep keep the community excited. And so I guess besides the lore building, um, you know, how else have you kind of helped create a really high quality experience that's attracted people? How have, how have you kept people excited along the way while they wait for the game? Um, because you've, you've commanded, a, you've built up a very large audience uh, thus far. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Kalos take that one. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, outside of the lore, you know, one of the things you said there is like, I think a lot of focus on the technology side and, um, you know, we obviously took a more traditional path in some of the projects where we have not all the projects, I guess, out there have published documentation around what they intend to build and how they intend to build it. Um, we did do that as well. So like if, if someone's interested in that, um, there's a foundation that has elected members from the community called Echelon. You can go to echelon.io um, and read the Echelon paper as well as the parallel paper. Um, but yeah, I think like in the, in the process of, you know, um, kind of creating, we, we knew this was going to be a bit of a process. And so what we try to do as much as possible without ruining the story or the game too much or, you know, the long tail kind of what, what we want to achieve, we wanted to give people insight into uh, where we were at and what we were doing. And so I think um, outside of kind of progressively as we finish the cards and show them to the community, um, you know, at the same principle applied to other facets of what we do. So as we complete other, you know, components, be it the design for bonds or uh, the play field um, or, you know, be it emotes from Paragons or whatever else, like I think we try to as much as possible uh, again, without spoiling things, show everyone where we're at so that the community has a sense of like, you know, collective involvement in in what we're building. Um, so I, I think like we look at it very much like, you know, um, as you know, I, I think that everyone in the community is probably just as excited as we are. Like we try to like within an hour, I'd say, of most cards being completed, they're, they're now shared with the community. Um, so I think we try to just involve people and let them see, you know, where we're going, why we're going there, uh, talk about it and, um, you know, reveal some of how we think about, uh, this world and this game or this series of games potentially. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, my late, but I just wanted to chime in there as well. I think it's important also that like, I, I've said it a bunch of times, but like, it all comes back to, you know, is this thing we're building fun? You know, a lot of what we try and do is just make sure that when, when people, whether it be obtaining an NFT, um, you know, or just going through anything parallel related, the experience itself is is an experience. It's not just, hey, you send us ETH and then uh, an NFT appears in your wallet. There's there's sort of more to it than that. So people can can get little tastes of the world as they go. Also, I think that it helps that we... You know, we started with the intention to build a game and right from the get go. I mean, if you listen to the podcast or, or any of the interviews that we did early on, we basically explain how the game was going to work from the beginning. And so I think and then they see people have seen it progress over time. Things have obviously changed since we first started. And that sort of um, 
sort of open air progression and and the, the ability to you know see it evolve i i think really helps people dig into it a little bit more and, and really feel entrenched because i think one of the biggest mistakes that some of these other projects maybe face is is that it feels to me anyway that some of these games it almost they almost feel like an afterthought more than uh, a sole focus yeah, that's fair. And and I love that you're thinking about the full experience. I mean, it, it goes back to like the classic approach that, you know, Apple takes, right? Even the packaging, when you when you open up your phone, there's something special about that. It's not just this generic thing. Um, and appreciate that you guys put the, the thoughtfulness into it. Um, the game design nerd in me is kind of interested, um, you know, in terms of going back to the topic of lore and story, um, you know, you have so much art that is across all the cards that have been revealed. Um, you're, you've created a really dense universe. I almost liken it to something out of Marvel comics. How do you, like, how does the team keep all the story straight? How do you map this all out? Um, you know, you're obviously going to going to continue to build that out even further. Um, so, you know, how, yeah, how do you guys keep it straight? And then has the community contributed to the lore that's been released, uh, thus far? Sure. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the game team has, you know, worked on, um, so, so we kind of set a framework of, of generally what we wanted to the narrative to be. We ha- we actually have a three arc story. We want to achieve um, the first base set of cards, which is the alpha set or the base set, as we should really refer to it. Um, that that is like part of the first arc, which is the returning to to planet Earth, a uh, returning home. And um, the art team and the game team kind of collaboratively created this Bible um, that we use to just, you know, create some, some guide rails around how things are made and why they're, you know, what they're, what the science or, you know, what the story, but the history behind a decision is, or, you know, why the Cathari have, you know, slightly blue and palish or whitish skin. Um, and, and so these kind of rails that we put in place um, really help the artists in uh, with some collaboration from the game team to kind of understand what they should be depicting and why, as well as the game card function. And then there's just a huge amount of trust and a lot of degrees of freedom uh, from the art team um, and Oscar, you know, with art direction, um, kind of putting putting the right flavor onto the card. Um, so it's actually like very, not, not a very formal process. It's actually a little bit more, um, you know, uh, has a quite a lot, a lot more flexibility than m- most would probably think in that really there's just like a very basic framework and outside of that basic framework, uh, we fully trust our art team and art direction to realize uh, a consistent vision um, within that, those parameters. Um, so it really just comes down to the an exceptional art team that Oscar has assembled and then really great art direction uh, based on some foundational decisions we made really early on around how the story, um, you know, is positioned. Yeah. Um, just quick note on that. I think, you know, having a visual team who is, um, you know, among the best uh, at their craft from films and games of the last 10 or 20 years, you can kind of trust them to um, actually make narrative improvements visually. So it's like, I think as Kalos is pointing out, it's a two way street. It's like, there's a core narrative that informs the visuals, but there, it's actually a dialogue. So the visuals then can actually retroactively, in a sense, inform the narrative. And that's happened on a number of occasions where one of the artists created some visual flourish for a card or some kind of, you know, maybe tattoo on the skin of a character. And that actually becomes part of a broader narrative um, because we looked at it and said, oh, that actually is, is really cool. And 
we can use that in more of an expansive way. Yeah, and I think like the the end truth of things usually reveals itself a bit more than it's decided, um, which is the interesting part. Uh, so like, you know, I, I think uh, at times um, there are a number of conversations between the comic team, um, the, the art team, the game team, and others who have a vested interest from an operations standpoint in, in ensuring the alignment of things. And I think just there's just a lot of collaboration and, and you know, fluid conversations that happen that lead to decisions. And, and typically, if someone asks why we did something, um, there was a, a pretty, you know, uh, a pretty good consort, you know, I guess, group of people that, that had a conversation that made that decision for a reason. And, and yeah, so it's been quite interesting to see that process. But I think it's a, quite an organic process. It's not really like, you know, um, it's not scripted. It's not there's the rails are the rails are there, but everything else in between it is very organic. Yeah, well, and I will say, um, you know, from from my end, um, and this is uh, biased or subjective, I guess, but um, the art does look remarkably consistent. I, I've noticed in you know other games of this genre, Magic: The Gathering being the most famous famous example, is it's very clear, you know, like different artists are working on on the various cards, and you know, if you're producing tens of thousands of cards over time, that's that's bound to happen. Um, but thus far, you guys have really, I, I feel like, assembled a group of artists that have been able to maintain consistency and, and, and make it all feel really uniform. So great job there. And I'm sure that'll continue. Um, so, you know, the style itself is is very much, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, very appealing. Um, you know, your upcoming core product is a TCG game, as we've discussed. For some, that might feel intimidating. Uh, even though it's a card game, it's 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 very deep. It's not you know like a typical you know deck of fifty two type of uh, fifty two card deck type of game. Um, there's a lot to learn uh, when you think about games like Magic or Hearthstone or others. Um, there's lots of sort of unique rules that you might not have seen in other games. Um, so how are you guys thinking about making your gameplay more approachable? Um, is there anything that players might find familiar from other games that maybe they've played in the traditional gaming space? I mean, I think the game as a whole will feel uh, comfortable to anyone who's, you, you know, uh, familiar with things like Runeterra, Hearthstone, Magic. Basically, uh, what I've tried to do anyway is, is you know, take all the elements of, of those games that I like and sort of mix them together while discarding the ones that I didn't like and then adding a little bit of our own flair there. So I think uh, you can, you know, pick out little elements that will be familiar if you're familiar you know, to the card game space. That being said, if this is your first foray into um, into card games, you know, we obviously plan to have uh, an extensive tutorial um, and not, not an abrasive tutorial either. I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves in games is w when you're sort of locked out of playing for like 30 minutes while it explains every, uh, you know, basically it reads the presentation word for word. I hate that sort of thing. So uh, our plan is to have an interactive tutorial, uh, sort of step-by-step -step nature, where you learn as you go when you need to learn the thing instead of uh, info dump at the beginning, uh, in order to get people over that hump, just to uh, you know familiarize themselves with some of the mechanics and nuances of the game uh, in a friendly way. And then, of course, we we plan to have a what we're currently calling the rookie queue, which is a, a queue that you can enter basically as a beginner to, to face other beginners. I, I won't get into all the nuances of that, but uh, it, it's sort of gated to people with, with um, starter decks. And so 
you're kind of matched up against other players that are of your caliber before, you know, getting thrown into the deep water. Yeah, and, and I'll just add a quick note there of, like, being not a TCG player prior to this. Um, the only experience I had was after I became a Parallel fan, before I was able to access the client that we use for testing internally, I played some um, MTG Arena just to get myself familiar with card games. That's my only experience, and I will say that um, Parallel is very easy to pick up. You know, uh, if you appreciate strategy games in any capacity, you'll pick it up very quickly. Even if you're not an active strategy game player, I think you'll you'll pick it up fairly quickly. I would say in, in the span of, you know, 15 to 20 games, you start to feel quite comfortable with it. And games actually of parallel move quicker than I would say other card games. You know, you could complete a game in, in 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the deck that you have and um, who you're matched up against. So it, it moves briskly and the, the barrier to entry is low with still a high skill cap. And, and you mentioned the tutorial, um, you know, a lot of a lot of games in the genre do have some sort of like single player play versus a computer mode to get you a bit more comfortable before you get thrown in with with uh, human players. Are you are you guys thinking about it the same way? Um, or do you feel like the tutorial will, will do enough of the work? And if you're matched up against, um, you know, somebody else who's fairly new that you'll be OK just jumping in in terms of playing against people? I mean, I, I think that the between the tutorial and the rookie queue, it will uh, be covered obviously. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm speaking for myself here, but knowing how, how we operate as a company and, and how like our, our sort of, um, mentality, if we find that there's some deficiency early on, which is why we have, we're going to have, you know, like a closed alpha, closed beta, open beta. If we find that there's some, um, some issues there and, and there's still, still some, some people having some confusion, we'll, we'll make adjustments. But I, I, I truly believe, um, you know, back to Fitch's statement that uh, anyone who spends just a, a little bit of time with it, it's simple enough that they'll be able to uh, get going fairly quickly. That makes sense. And, um, you know, certainly a, a lot of games look for ways to, I don't want to say increase complexity, but just, you know, add different game modes and play styles and that sort of thing. But I imagine that would happen after, you know, the core game itself has been played for a long time and people are comfortable with it um, just to not overcomplicate things. Um, so, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking about this further in terms of just like, you know, looking at what other TCGs have done in the space and, and also the current space within blockchain in particular, um, it can be a crowded market. Um, some, some might argue that it's easier to make a card game versus a 3d immersive world. Um, I think that's not really a fair statement because game design is really hard, no matter really what the visuals look like. But, um, that being said, it, it, it could be a fairly robust, uh, you know, selection of, of uh, TCGs that are out there in the next coming year. So curious, like, how are you guys thinking about differentiation? Um, you know, how do you want to win over the, the, what might be a competitive market of players? I mean, I think that a, a lot of the s simple mechanics that we've chosen to base our game around things like the bank system, uh, which essentially, you know, adds another layer of, of complexity. I mean, it's simple in, in, um, in sort of, uh, theory but in execution there's there's a lot of it adds in a whole extra layer of choices for people and it's something that i haven't really seen done in, a, in any successful way in, in, in a lot of the card games there's just like subtle tweaks to to the things that, that gamers are used to that i think will will help help differentiate us because a lot of the time and, and again i'm not i'm not like pointing a finger at any other projects or anything like that but I, I do tend to find that when i when i play some of these card games it does 
start to feel uh, a little repetitive, like, oh, I've seen this before, I've seen that before. Uh, you know, basically, uh, it comes down to like Hearthstone already did this or Magic already did this. But I, I think that we, we've um, made enough tweaks to, to our game that um, people will be engaged and um, looking for loopholes uh, for, for a long time to come. And that, that for me anyway, as a card player, that's really what I'm, what I'm looking for. It, it's just like, how do I game the system basically? And trying to find those, those, those little weak points. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, that's what this game will be for them. And uh, really what it comes down to is just uh, taking something familiar and, and, and making it slightly interesting. Cause I, I think to, to what you said earlier, um, a lot of these games try and add complexity for the sake of complexity. And I think all that does is add confusion and not fun. And so we're, we're trying to uh, uh, avoid that as much as possible. Yeah. No, I mean, for me in particular, um, when a lot of TCGs in the past have added complexity over time, it's made the game less fun for me. I love this idea of simple to learn, um, hard to master. I always point to Rocket League as a, as a great example of it. It doesn't take you long to figure out how to play. But to be really good at that game takes a lot of mastery and, and, and time. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that you guys have that perspective. Um, one, one other piece, you know, from my perspective um, that I feel like helps Parallel stand out is uh, accessibility from a, a cost perspective. I think compared to other blockchain games, um, you guys have worked really hard to keep costs down of, of the items. Um, you know, on my end, like we're trying very hard to expand the uh, the market of people who are interested in playing games and owning the items in those games. Um, and right now that the costs are fairly prohibitive to the average video game player who, you know, is spending far less than the average crypto gaming enthusiast. So have you guys found the strategy to be successful in terms of keeping those price points lower and growing your audience? And, you know, just to kind of be blunt, um, have you found that to be an issue in terms of operating the company and generating enough revenue to develop a game, which takes a lot of time, especially when you're talking about, you know, producing beautiful art and, and you guys are creating lots of that. Yeah, I can hop in on this one. Um, no. So in terms of like the ability to operate a company, you know, profitably, like as a studio independent from the foundation, uh, I think we've been successful at that. Um, I think obviously, you know, we really just want to continue to build the world and, and game and, and iterate on it and expand the offering um, of ways to interact with Parallel. But as a business, we've been successful, um, which is, you know, again, I think it test a, a, a kind of um, owed, owed to the quality of the work that the art team has done because the game is not out yet, as well as the support of the community who just, you know, um, have, I guess, appreciated maybe our transparency around things and then uh, supported us as a result. Um, but I think, yeah, obviously, you know, pretty early on, we really wanted to uh, make it as accessible as possible to, to, to people. Um, that definitely was a core tenant of what we were doing. And like, I think we, we continue to, to do that via the, you know, faucets that are giving free cards away to people uh, prior to, to the pack drops. Um, as well as a number of other ways around our product pricing. Um, and we, we've, we've struggled at times. Like I think, you know, I always point to PD3 as like an example of where we may have got some of the supply wrong. Um, you learn and you just be transparent about it and tell everyone, you know, how you're going to adjust and then stay true to that adjustment when things don't go right. Um, so I think we're all kind of figuring that out still. Uh, and then uh, in addition to that, I think, 
you know, um, some of the kind of free to play components of what we're doing, um, even drive that, that, that barrier to entry down further. Um, so being able to play, you know, rookie queues with starter decks versus, you know, if you don't want to buy NFTs and you don't care about your winning prime for every match, then you can use apparition cards for very low cost, even lower than, you know, um, the cards cost on OpenSea or via pack drops. And if you do care about, you know, earning prime for wins, then you'd be, you know, still have a relatively low barrier to entry to be able to obtain a deck and or win matches and potentially unlock stuff that allows you to play and be competitive and earn prime. So I think we put a lot of emphasis on uh, ensuring that people can uh, approach parallel from both a crypto native standpoint, as well as um, just hearing about a good game and being able to come in and play and enjoy the world, enjoy the game, you know, have some fun playing matches, be social with other people playing that game and, um, you know, allow themselves naturally to just go deeper as they feel fit um, to do so. Yeah, and actually yeah. to the to the point of the faucet, um, we literally just announced the faucet card uh, for the upcoming PD5. So this is brand new, hot off the press. Uh, figured this would be a good time to, to do it because we can actually have a discussion about why it's important to have a faucet and what this card does because nobody knows that either. That's uh, yet to be revealed. So, you know, we have it up there um, pinned at the top for anyone. You know, you can share this with your friends. A faucet means a free-to-claim card. So you can just go register for a parallel account and then claim this card for free. Just, you know, it's a, a simple gas transfer cost. And uh, it's a very cool card, you know, in game. Um, I believe Koji, we have this as a, a 2-2 defender and it's a universal card. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's yeah, correct. And, and there's also some fun to this whole faucet thing, right? In that you know, you pay the gas fee and you get to get a card, but you have a chance of getting the special edition card versus the first edition card. So you get a more rare ver variant of it, um, as well as the potential of getting the masterpiece of the card. Um, I think, yeah, just generally speaking, we want everyone to be able to play parallel and engage with the world. So we kind of straddle this, um, you know, utilizing blockchain and obfuscating the complexity as much as possible while making it super, super accessible for everyone to play. Um, and like, I think the way, you know, incentive structures are, I very much believe in incentive structures um, are the way in which people will become, you know, um, more interested in, in interacting with an NFT version of a card and prime. And so uh, a great example is, you know, if you win a match with just apparitions, um, you know, it would, every time you win, it's going to tell you how much prime you would have won had all the cards in your deck being NFTs. And um, I think kind of being met with that victory screen and understanding what's, you know, what you, what the incentive is to have these additional kind of different versions of cards in, in, in this particular case, NFTs, um, allows people to be like, okay, you know, I've been playing with operations. I'm actually getting pretty good. I'm beating a lot of people. My rank is going up. Um, I've, you know, missed out on quite a bit of prime here. I think I'm going to go ahead and get myself some cards. And so, at that point, um, you know, you're either going to buy cards, first editions and special editions on secondary, or you're going to buy um, replicated or spawned cards from community members who've made them. So this is, comes back to this kind of very appropriately timed conversation around factories, um, you know, cards that can produce more cards via spending a little bit of prime and some renown, which is the equivalent of XP at the card level. So really what, you know, I think our goal is, is like uh, introduce as many people as possible to a very, very high quality game that is different than Magic, different than Hearthstone, but easy enough to pick up if you're familiar, even if you're not with those games 
and you know use that as a starting point with incentives to progressively introduce people more to the idea of digital scarcity, digital collectibles, as well as um, digital currency. Yeah, I, I love the strategy. Um, I tweeted about this the other day that you know the, the best way to onboard, uh, you know, quote unquote traditional gamers is just to basically let them know you know, that they have the option to, to, you know, get these things, right? It's like, if you had a, a traditional video game, um, and you wanted to build something on chain, you wouldn't necessarily like come out and announce like, hey, moving forward, everything is going to be on chain, you would just say, hey, for the last three or five years, you've been playing, this is what you would have earned, right? Or this is what you can claim. And in your case, you guys are basically thinking about kind of letting people know in real time, um, you know, if you own these items, this is what you would have gotten. You're not ramming it down their throats, but it's an option. And I think that's that that's just the best approach um, to getting people on board. Yeah, totally. It's an option with an economic, you know, um, component to it. And I think like that is a great incentive that maybe we haven't used in the most effective way um, as a space. And it's still early. Yeah. So there's lots of opportunity to iterate. But um, that seems like a pretty compelling thing. I think like after 10 to 15 matches, you know, imagine winning five matches even and saying you would have won, you know, two prime or three prime every time, um, you know, you're going to kind of look, you have that in the back of your head saying like, okay, like how am I going to go about now realizing what I would have got? Um, and it's really, a, you know, a discretionary choice that if people want it to be an economic vehicle of some sort, they can make that choice. We're just offering it as an availability um, as an option. Yeah, I mean, personally, as a player, I'm definitely more interested in getting more cards, right? And so the, the faucet is a, is a great example of, you know, being a member of the community, getting something that is going to grow my collection um, is is exciting. And I'd like to see you guys do more of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there will be some of that in game as well, right? So you'll have like leveling um, of your profile and matches and you will be able to get NFTs out of that as well. So I think that's something we plan to do. I also think that like, uh, from a very basic level, it's really important for crypto games in general to appeal to, you know, your average gamer, which uh, it sounds obvious, but uh, I don't think a lot of people are, are really sort of taking that tact. Like there's a lot of talk of these 10K projects talking about games and how, you know, maybe other projects with, with, with larger supply are, are diluting their supply and it's crazy. But like, if you had an online game and there were only 10,000 players, that wouldn't really be all of that successful, right? So you, you really don't want to just bring in your crypto audience into a game and say, hey, we have a game and this is going to be great. What you want to do is, is inter use the game and introduce crypto to a whole new audience, uh, bring them into the world. And maybe that, you know, it's like a, a rising tide raises all ships sort of situation. But the only way to do that is you have to appeal to gamers on their level. Um, and it, that's not necessarily going to be through hey purchase this nft hey do you know create this wallet hey do this it's like hey here's a fun game come play it oh by the way if you want to engage in other elements of this game maybe try doing this thing and maybe try doing that thing and like you know slowly uh ease them into the process yeah a hundred percent and i think what you've seen in the free-to-play space especially with just aesthetic skins is people who get really addicted to a game um, will spend the money, right? Because they want to look cool. They're spending a lot of their time and their their passion inside of an environment. Um, they'll they'll buy into that system, even if they get nothing in return. So that makes 100% sense. And I also just, you know, firmly believe that if you're a game designer, you want as many people as possible to play your game. So this idea of scarcity, while it works maybe very well in art and uh, collectibles, 
um, not as great in gaming, right? You want hundreds of thousands or millions of players playing your game. Certain elements of that game can be scarce. That's fine. But you shouldn't use that. Like scarcity should not be a restrictor to the, the number of players total, in, in my opinion, at least. Um, so, you know, going uh, kind of beyond uh, card-based gaming, you guys have talked recently more about, um, you know, expanding uh, outside of the the core TCG, eventually, you recently opened up your library of 3D art, which is really beautiful, and are starting to encourage other people to build on top of kind of the IP that you guys have created. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, who who is that news really kind of intended for? Uh, is it for game developers? What does it mean? And and what would you like to see uh, come of it? Yeah, sure. So. Um... So the library isn't open yet. We, be, we you know, but every card has a corresponding piece of equipment. Um, so, the, for like, what we're essentially doing is saying, hey, you know, here's what we're we're thinking about um, after the TCG is out. Um, and really, what it is is, you know, more immersive ways to to interact with the world. Um, and coming back to the cards, like, you know, when when you step back, like, let's just say for a second, there's, you know, in the future, there's 2 million people that play the TCG. Um, one of the questions is like, how do you add, you know, there's kind of two, two parts here. One is like, how do you appeal to a larger audience? And I think the answer to that is, uh, and, and have a larger audience engage with your story and your world. And I think the answer to that is additional game types. Um, so be it, be it an FPS or an RPG or something else. Um, and so as we create these cards, we create these 3D objects and um, we're refining them and kind of creating this library. And this library is first to be used by us to create a, an additional game and then to be opened to the community to build games with. Um, now, if you have, let's say, I'm just going to pick a card like Supply Drop, um, you would be able to then go pick up your, uh, your, your 3D corresponding equipment, which is a LAR, which is the Marcolian rifle, which is depicted in that card. So essentially, whatever is depicted in that card, that equipment would theoretically be you know, retrievable for a cost in prime as a game sync um, so that you could then use that equipment on a loadout for an avatar, which could brings us to the avatar program. So essentially what we're, we're slowly doing and trying to be, you know, transparent about is compile this library of um, landscapes, uh, you know, characters, be it avatars, um, uh, equipment and vehicles. And those are the really core components. Um, and if you have a really high fidelity library of those pieces, you can compile um, and create games that are RTS games, FPS games, RPG games, like all kinds of different stuff because all those pieces are needed for all those types of games. And uh, I think what we're, we're trying to do now is just say like, hey, this is something we're working on, we're thinking about. Um, so that the community understands one, the impact, the po like a positive impact, not a negative impact, but the, the implications of having a card and being able to retrieve equipment in the future so that there's a relationship and understood relationship there, um, as well as maybe paint a picture of what it might look like. Um, and what, and this is not to say we won't release expansions because we intend to do that on the TCG side, but our aspirations for additional, more immersive ways to engage with the world, starting with a game that we build and then opening up to others to be able to, to mod that game and kind of approaching mod culture longer term where others can do things to, you know, um, create mini games or different little, you know, worlds on our maps with our characters, with our vehicles and our equipment. Um, so really it, it's kind of, uh, just uh, our way of saying where we want to go and uh, that we're actually on that path. And maybe people didn't realize we're on that path because 
as artists again create these cards for the most part you know they're actually three they're 3d modeled and there is some paint over but then we take those cards with the 3d models we hand them over to our 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 outsource partners and our outsource partners work with us to refine those models and hand them back to us. So we're actually accumulating equipment as we're making cards. Um, and then we have the avatar program, um, which essentially is super interesting. Um, you know, it, it's it, really what it, we've done is we've kind of decided where geographically different parallels have come from, uh, obtained 3d scans of people from those places of their faces, and then loaded them into an engine to be able to, create a number of you know thousands of different people with different clothing, different equipment. And, um, and it kind of just like, it goes way past the idea of a PFP. It becomes this like avatar that is equipable. Um, and so we're just kind of putting these pieces in place that we think are going to be instrumental, almost like a, a parallel specific, like loot um, um, to begin with in some capacity, but not just text words, like actually high fidelity pieces of equipment that modify your stats and can be usable and composed ultimately into additional games. And then allowing everyone to, to take that really high fidelity engine and ultimately build more games and tell more stories about the parallel world. Uh, so that's, that's generally the idea. Yeah. And folks, yeah. I've, I've uh, pinned that up at the top. Um, so you can, Take a look at the the early exploration of the avatars program. Yeah, so that that girl in the the Cathari woman in the picture there, uh, we call her Seda fifty five. That was the first output of the engine, um, and that has not been touched by artists. Like there's no paint over. That is strictly an output of the engine. Um, and I think like that was our, our the hard first task, which was like, what is the baseline of this engine going to be? How how high fidelity can we go? Um, well, I would probably have to scale down uh, the fidelity of the engine in the end for utilization in games. Um, but but you know, I think it's just really worth mentioning that like that wasn't created by. I mean, there are artists working on the, the mechanical components or the, the engineering components of the engine, but that was not painted by someone or modeled by someone by hand. Essentially, we said, okay, the Cathari are going to leave from like Scandinavia and Norway, Sweden and whatever. And so we got a bunch of people's faces from that area, uploaded them and created like a genetic baseline almost in some capacity for that particular parallel and did the same for Marcolians, did the same for Agincourt, picked these different regions, got skeletal structures and then generated a bunch of different people and generated these kind of different traits. Um, so I think so it'll be really interesting to see. Um, ultimately, the, it's still a ways off from us completing um, all the work there. But I think by the around the end of the year, we'll be able to kind of start revealing exactly the quality of that engine. Yeah, I mean, Business Guy Board loves it because you, you obviously have already invested so much in, you know, creating the artwork um, that has been meant for, you know, cards. Why not leverage that in, in other ways and, and open it up for other builders to use. Um, so it, it's super smart. And, and I also love the fact that, you know, your core product uh, start, starts off with a card game and then can turn into many other things. Typically it's it's the other way around. You know, a card game might be an offshoot of, of some sort of 3D game. Um, going in reverse is, is, is awesome. I, I love that. And um, it just, you know, goes to show how deep your, your lore is and uh, how much IP you've already built up that you're able to, to do this. So definitely will be, um, you know, watching along the way. Um, one question that, that's kind of broader and again, taps into sort of the, the game design side, but developing any kind of game is, is really hard. Um, and then doing so using emerging technology like blockchain is even harder. Um, in a way, for me at least, it, it kind of feels like you're going back to physical games, right? Where things are kind of cemented and are harder to change. So 
what has been your favorite part of this process and, and your least favorite or uh, toughest part of the process um, from a game developer's perspective? <laughs> what a loaded question. Um, I mean, I, I think that the, the best part of this, of this project, the most amazing part is just seeing the, the sort of, you know, machinations that you have scrawled in a notebook one day at four in the morning become an actual real live thing. Um, I think the most difficult thing, or I don't know, I don't know if difficult is the right term, but like certainly one of the biggest realizations uh, that I've had, and, and I'll, I'll let you know everyone else on the stage here kind of maybe fill in their own blanks. But uh, for me, the, the biggest realization is just like, how difficult it is to make anything remotely like this. And it doesn't matter uh, how much manpower you have, how much money you have, all this stuff, it's still always going to be uh, quite difficult. And, and, and honestly, uh, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you look at something like, we'll, we'll use um, cyberpunk is just like the example that everybody loves to pick on as a game. You know, they had, they had uh, seemingly, all of the manpower and all the money to do anything that they wanted. And it still didn't come out, you know, perfect. And I, I think that for, for me as a player, one of the sort of realizations uh, or as a builder now, one of the realizations that I had that I didn't have as a player is just like, you know, money and uh, it doesn't solve all your problems. And sometimes time is just all you need. Um, and, and I talked to some people about it and basically, you know, if I told you I needed a thousand pictures of a, of a, of a, uh, a square drawn, right? The amount of time it would take one person is, you know, one square times a thousand. If you had a thousand people, you could draw a thousand squares. No problem. Easy. But what if I told you, you have a thousand people and they, uh, you know, I want re one really, really, really ultra detailed square. It would actually be harder for a thousand people to draw that one square than it would be for the one person to just take whatever time is needed and do it themselves. And so, Ultimately, like there's some tasks that can only be solved with time, um, and it doesn't. The rest it almost doesn't matter. Um, and for me, that's the hardest part because, like, as much as people out there are like, "When is a game coming out? I really want to play it." Believe me, I want nothing more than for everyone to play this game. You know, I, I'm I'm excited for for people to tell me how much they love it, and and equally fearful for people to tell me how much they hate it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will say like the hardest part in, in my past when designing a game is just knowing when to, to say it's done. Right. Cause you can just endlessly refine it over time. And so like, totally. you need to give yourself the time, but you also need to make that hard decision of like, okay, when is it going to ship? But you guys are taking a smart approach, which is releasing it to smaller and then increasingly larger batches of people. So you're going to start to feel, you know, when that moment is coming, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, I mean, to answer your original question, it's just difficult because everyone wants everything now, including me, including the, everyone on the team who's making it. They all want it now, and uh, there, there's there's no replacement for time in some instances. Yeah, I'd say also, um, you know, there's, so there's a lot that's amazing about getting to work on this. Um, like, you know, every morning you wake up and count, count the stars kind of thing. Um, but I think so on the difficulty front, I think sometimes it's it's a little tricky to strike the balance of exactly really how much of this should be on chain, um, you know, and just like the obfuscating some of the complexity around, you know, um, 
just ownership and how you communicate that without being super interruptive to the game itself or the world itself. Um, you know, what goes into the game client, what stays on web, um, why it's structured that way. There's a lot of nuance um, around that. Um, and every decision seems super important. Um, you know, so I think there, you, you kind of have to make really good I think a lot of people say things like, oh, you know, you only have to really make two or three great, great decisions or whatever in most businesses to be successful. It's like, I think there's a lot of things we have to do right around, um, you know, bonds and how you can share cards and um, the token and the cards themselves. There's, there's a lot of different inter interoperable components. Um, and I think the difficult part at times is really deciding how much this is and kind of always rooting ourselves back in. This is a fun game. We want everyone to be able to play it. Yes, it utilizes the technology, but like that isn't the focal point. Um, and I think always kind of cornerstoning ourselves back on that, that truth uh, is, is, is hard, but helpful. Yeah, I appreciate you guys, you know, being honest about that. I think it's really important in terms of, you know, being a credible game, game designer. It can't all just be like, you know, everything is great, number go up, everything's going perfectly. I think you build trust by, you know, being open um, about the process being hard. And I think anybody who's been in the space will understand that. And as you said, no matter how much time and money um, and Keanu Reeves you have, it's not always going to mean your game is going to be a well success uh, with cyberpunk. We saw that. So um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think if I can just say one thing, I was actually thinking about this exact topic yesterday and like, I was looking at people saying, you know, up only or down only. And I think like what really, and this is going to sound a little bit cheesy or something, but like really to, to get away from up only or down only thinking, it really comes down to like scale only. And like, if you scale something, everything positive comes out of that. You're going to find some, some negatives in that, but really that should be the goal. Like it, it should really be about scale only and up and down will you know, work itself out in the fine tuning of scaling. Because if, if none of this stuff scales, we got a huge problem across the board. That's right. And, and that is the attitude of accessibility and getting as many players as possible versus having up only happen because of scarcity um, and, you yeah. know, cool kids crowd and, and, and stopping people from playing. So I love yeah. that. Um, so we did want to take some time um, to answer questions from people in the audience um, while people are requesting and, and raising their hands. Um, do you guys want to just talk about some of the upcoming milestones? I, I, you talked about the faucet, obviously, but maybe looking at like the next 30 to 60 days, um, any any updates or things you can share with uh, those who are listening? And, you know, in particular, anybody who's maybe newer to the to the community or the ecosystem, um, anything that they should be aware of if they want to get involved? Sure. Yeah. On September 10th. Uh, so, OK, well, actually, there's a couple of things happening here. So obviously, September 3rd. Uh, there's a faucet. The faucet is a card where you pay for gas and you get a chance at getting uh, well, you get a card no matter what, be it a first edition, a special edition or the masterpiece of that card. Uh, that is the pin tweet. On September 10th, uh, we have pack drop five. Uh, pack drop five, there's six total pack drops before the base set is complete. So this is the second last of the pack drops that we'll be completing before uh, the alpha closed alpha opens up to the community to play. Um, and uh, that so that's happening on September 10th, and I don't know the exact date yet. Maybe someone else here knows on stage, but we have the first comic coming up. Um, so we've completed the experience. Oscar Mars in the room. He's created something really, really exceptional from an experiential uh, standpoint, um, and our first comic should be coming out uh, shortly after Pack Drop Five. Yeah, I, I believe that we're looking at the end of September. 
for that, which I don't think we've actually even said that publicly. So there's some, some alpha for you. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. A lot of things. Yeah. Victoria, go ahead. I want to, yeah. I want to ask a question, which is, uh, how does one uh, NFT turn into five NFTs? Can you elaborate more on uh, this one? And thank you. Sure. So I think what you're re referring to is replication or spawning of cards, the lineage system. Um, so as you play matches with a card, uh, you'll earn, uh, for wins, you'll earn prime at the wallet or user level um, if your cards are NFTs. And if you, you play with a card, you earn at the card level something called renown. Think about it like experience points. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, you earn you know, experience with that. It's called renown. Um, you'll be able to uh, use some renown and some prime to uh, make an additional card or you know, a number of additional cards um, that uh, have a, could have a number of you know, variables. So like you might have a chance of making two of them. You might have a chance of making one with glitches. Um, so there's some RNG or randomness to kind of how what comes out. And uh, those cards are for you to decide to sell to other people who want to have cards if you choose to or to use for yourself. Um, and so essentially, uh, this only applies to first edition and special edition cards. So we are the ones who sell first editions and special editions. The community member are really the ones who meet any subsequent demand for cards by creating more cards from the cards they have. Um, and uh, Cards that have been created, so um, replicated cards or spawn cards or lineage cards, those cannot create more cards. Only the cards that uh, first editions and special editions can make cards. And um, the cost in, I believe it's Renown, is cheaper uh, to, on special editions than it is on first editions. So if you really want to be this person who plays a lot and makes a lot of cards to be able to you know, give them some, to some of your friends to play with you, uh, to earn prime and have fun with or to be able to sell them to other people who you know because you're thinking the game's going to be super popular and everyone's going to want cards those first editions and special edition cards are the ones that you're probably going to want to have in particular the special edition ones um so that is how uh you know what what that's doing and fundamentally is really saying um you know you you can't uh, to participate in this economy, you have to play the game and you have to win at times, but you have to play the game quite a bit. And that way you're going to have a really fun, full queue of people trying different strategies, trying to play different cards, because if, even if a card's not that popular, you're going to want to play it from time to time if you're trying to make more of that card. And so that is fundamentally how, um, you know, the community can, can meet any subsequent demand for cards uh, via their own gameplay. Also, quick... Really? Uh, Quick note: We are looking at October for comic. I was I was mistaken. So um, expect uh, to hear more about that in October. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for for the uh, the edit there, Fitch. Um, so yeah, before we wrap up, guys, um, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I pretty much learn every something new about Parallel every time we chat. Um, so appreciate that. Um, yeah, before we wrap up, any any final thoughts or reminders uh, for, for those who are listening? Um, the majority of folks are probably going to listen to this um, this recording later. But um, yeah, any any time sensitive information or reminders you want to get out there? Yeah, I, I think I would be remiss to say to not say send Eve to Mr. Gondadi. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. Please don't yeah. do that. This is a joke. <laughs> this is a running joke with Mr. Gunn. Don't send Look at this. this guy's my finances are not a joke, sir. <laughs> 
We, no, I'm uh, just kidding. Don't don't send me ETH, please. Don't actually. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna send you ETH now and then well, yell at people because I heard Uh-oh. it. <laughs> yeah, financial advice. <laughs> it's, it's one way, man. It's on chain. You can't can't recall it, but um, yeah, I think uh, we we do have a giveaway for the the board box community um, of some of our packs. So that's that's a pretty exciting thing to mention. Um, and as as you've seen, the pack opening experience is mind-boggling it's truly next level um cinematic is is probably an understatement and shout out to you know oscar and the the folks that um worked on that under his guidance but yeah i mean it's quite it's quite something so if you've never opened a parallel pack it is uh it's pretty amazing and there's a cool opportunity to be able to uh win some packs in the, the board box community i do want to reiterate the pinned message at the top um that faucet you know use that Create an account now so that you're you're qualified. Share that with friends. It's a really easy way to get a free card that's going to be able to get you access to some Prime just for having it, you know, get you access to Prime for using it in game. That specific card is actually a really cool card in game, obviously all subject to, you know, some adjustments and balances, but as it stands, um, highly useful card in game. And I would say most decks use it. Um, so definitely get your hands on that and, um, you know, possibly get yourself the masterpiece you know there there is one hidden in the queue so yeah yeah. thanks for that pitch and and just to confirm people have to go and claim it right it's not uh an airdrop no you have to go go claim yeah yeah they have to go claim it um yeah i think also just like i I always try to make sure you know we, we just say how much we appreciate everyone who supported us and the community who um, you know, are just as excited about the world and the cards and the game we're building. So I want to make sure I say thank you to everybody um, uh, who's been there uh, on this journey with us. And we're super excited to be able to share more with you and see the completion of the base set, you know, sometime towards the end of the year. And thank you to board for you know setting this all up and hosting us. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to doing more of those. Um, and yeah, as you, as you mentioned, Fitch, um, you know, thanks for your partnership. We're definitely excited to to gift a few uh, PD4 packs to the people in the community. Um, and we're very excited to play against all of you guys. I have a kind of a personal mission to play <laughs> play the founders of Parallel and beat them someday. So maybe we'll, we'll set that up and do it on Twitch or something and get drunk here's and the, watch, me, watch me lose. No, here's <laughs> the sad part. Uh, playing the founders of Parallel and beating them is, is probably one of the easiest achievements that you can you you come up with. <laughs> the mods, the Discord mods are the ones you The Discord mods are a problem. Yeah. They're, they're, they're serious. Like they, they're the ones to beat. But yeah, I think uh, Mr. Gone actually took, uh, took some rib shots just, uh, just the other day to a relatively new player. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not necessarily going to be your hardest challenge. Fair enough. Well, it'll, it'll be entertaining either way, uh, but that, that sounds good. All right, guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, We'll have this recording up shortly, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this Boardbox Extra. Please note that none of what was discussed in this episode today should be taken as financial or investment advice. We are excited to share this content and encourage everyone to do their own research. Looking to go deeper, get more access? Join us at boardbox.io and grab a Boardbox NFT to join our private community of gamers.